0: good morning. It truly is a privilege to be with you and an honor to be able to serve you in this capacity. As Dana mentioned, I serve on campus full-time over at FAU uh, as one of your supported missionaries. Uh, As as you think about FAU, as you drive by the campus, uh, please pray for us. We are so thankful for the way in which you've encouraged us, the way you support us. We wouldn't be able to exist on the campus uh, bringing the gospel to bear in students' lives without your generosity, without your encouragement, and certainly without your prayers. And so we're thankful that we're sort of back to a a sense of a little bit of more normalcy this year after all of the COVID restrictions and lockdowns that we've experienced. Uh, And so it really is a privilege for us to be on campus at FAU. I'm delighted to be able to preach this morning. Uh, As Dana mentioned, we're going to continue this series, One Heart, One Mission. And whenever I think about a sermon series like this, I often think about the, the story that is often told about Jack Nicholas. Jack Nicholas, the great golfer, every year whenever he would start the new golf season would go and visit with his coach to go over the fundamentals of the game. Here's how you hold the club. Let's look at your stance. Let's look at your posture. Here's the goal. All of the basic fundamentals that he knows, but could easily be lost over time without going back to revisit those basic fundamentals of what it means. And so in the same way as we think through this sermon series, One Heart, One Mission, it's... No doubt, things that we've known, things that we've heard about the life of the church, and then specifically, the life of Spanish River Church. But at the same time, it's an opportunity for us to dive in more specifically, be reminded of these truths, and also to be committed to them once again. And so this morning, we're looking at the gracious community of the gospel, the gracious community of the gospel. Let me read for us from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4 one through 16 is the text that we are going to be looking at this morning. The Apostle Paul writes, "I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me pray for us. Our Lord and our God, as we come to you this morning and we hear your word, God, we pray that we'll truly hear the very voice of our Savior, that you will transform our hearts and our minds And that as we leave here this morning, we will be renewed, transformed, changed, and committed to these realities that we hold dear, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Several years ago, the author John Krakauer popularized the story of a young man named Chris McCandless in a book that he wrote. Chris McCandless, as a young man, became disillusioned with life somewhere around the time where he was in college grew up in an upper middle class family. But with all of, the, all of the wealth that he experienced and all of the broken relationships that were around him, he became disillusioned with life and, and had what a lot of young people have in that season of life was a desire that he believed that if he could just get away from all of the normal s- actions of society, if he could get away from all of the relationships that he was in and sell everything that he had and give it away and just go get lost out in the wilderness somewhere, that somehow in that experience he would find the meaning of life and the meaning of his own life personally. And over the years as I've done college ministry, I've heard students from time to time express that same desire and that same dream to me. And, and I want to be careful because I understand, the, I understand the allure of that moment. I can understand the, the romance of adventure that comes with that. But what crack Hour shows in that story is that at the very end of that young man's life, Chris McCandless, he would actually go out into the wilderness where he would not return home. He wouldn't survive his final adventure into the wilderness. He left behind a journal detailing all of the things that he had experienced, all of the things that he had witnessed, and even what he had been reading and what he had been thinking. And one of the final lines that he wrote in his journal was this statement, happiness is only real when shared. Happiness is only real when shared and it's almost as if in that moment what he came to the realization of is that in the in the leaving of relationships and then going out into this individualistic experience that really what he was longing for were relationships happiness is only real when shared well in the same way as we gather and we come into this this topic this morning on community what i hope that we'll see this morning is that you and i we have been made for relationships So much so that when God has called a people for himself out of darkness and into light, out of unbelief and into belief, he actually calls us into a community of people. He calls us into relationship with one another. And what we're going to see this morning is that community is not optional, community is not secondary, but community is actually the very tool of God for the expansion of the gospel and the growth to maturity in his people. Community is not optional, it's not secondary, it's actually God's tool for the very expansion of the gospel and the way in which he brings his people to a place of maturity and fullness. So let's dive in and how we understand these realities from Ephesians chapter 4. The first thing I want you to see this morning is that the foundation of community is God. The foundation for community is God. When we hear that word community and you hear, well, we're going to have a sermon that's going to be focused on community, probably one of the first things we do is we immediately think about the people in our lives, our friends, our community groups, our small groups, the people horizontally that we're surrounded with. And while that's important and that's true, what I want to do first of all is take us back to a more central reality, is that the foundation for community is not people, it's actually God. Notice the way in which Ephesians 4 opens up in verse 1. He writes that I urge you, as a, you know, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, there's somebody greater than you who has called you into a life of faith, that has called you into a life of community with other people, that we know that that call is one that comes from God himself. He goes on to say in verse 6 that there's one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all. Now we're jumping into the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, kind of in the middle of the, of the section, middle of the, of the story, but if we were to unpack Ephesians from the beginning, what we would see affirmed, in the truth that we just sang just a moment ago, is that this God who we worship exists in the nature of a trinity. One God, three persons. Three persons, one God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That God himself exists in the reality of a relationship within the Godhead. What does the Father do but love the Son, and the Son loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father, that before the creation of the world, before God spoke this universe into existence, before he created light out of darkness, before Adam and Eve named the animals roaming around in the Garden of Eden, in eternity past, God himself existed in relationship. Dare I even say, in perfect community? And so then it only stands to reason as God creates the world and He creates this universe and as He creates all of the animals and the trees and the oceans and He creates man in His image, men and women in the very image of God, you have borne on your very soul the reality that you and I, we have been made for relationships. We bear the very image of a God who lives in relationships, and so too we exist for relationship. It's almost like, I've often used this analogy, it's almost like if you ever get a new cell phone, and you have to set it up, and you're going through all the process of remembering what apps you normally use, and transferring all your contacts over, you'll find that in that moment there's probably going to be some apps that come pre-downloaded on your phone that you don't want, that you can't delete, that you don't want to use. But they're just there into the, in the very reality of your phone's existence. You can hide it. You can put it in a folder. You can pretend it's not there. You might get that red notification that tells you you need to go and finish setting something up that you don't want to use. In the same way, you and I, we've been made for relationships. We can pretend it's not true. We can hide from other people. We can act like we don't need others. But the reality is, we do. And so when God calls a people, when he calls individuals from a life of unbelief into belief, one of the gracious things that he does is he calls us into a life of community with one another. And in that community, the writer of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, is calling us to live with a sense of unity with one another. If the foundation for community is God, he's calling us then to live with one another in unity. Notice verse 2, with all humility... And gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And then he goes through a list of all of these unifying realities of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Sometimes I wish that whenever these he, he had written this, he didn't say that we should bear with one another with all patience. Sometimes you wish it was just like a little bit of patience, right? Or just a little bit of gentleness. But he says, we live in a sense of unity, bearing with one another with all patience, gentleness. And humility. We're gonna come back to those words in a moment. But if the foundation for community is God, then the call is for us to live in unity with one another. And that unity isn't sort of just a perfunctory action, it's not just an event that happens, but it's actually a very character issue on the very heart and soul of how we live with one another, bearing with one another with humility, gentleness, and patience. I'll give you an example. Uh, I've been doing RUF for 13 years, and for 13 years, every year, usually twice a year, some one time in the fall and one time in the spring, a student or a group of students will come to me with the idea of saying, I really wish we could get all of the Christians on campus for like a night of worship, and it would be like this unifying act that we could be an, a, a witness to the entire campus of all of the Christians united together in one night of worship. Now, we've done that over the years, and and it's a really great experience whenever we've been able to do it, but I've never once in 13 years had a student come to me and say, I wish the Christians on campus were more united, and I wish that that unity was expressed in the way that they treated one another and treated the campus with gentleness, patience, humility, bearing with one another in love. You see, we tend to think of unity as an experience, not a reality of our character, of how we love one another. In fact, one time a student, he was telling me this idea. He was kind of pitching this this plan. Hey, what if we did this night of worship and we got all the Christians together? And I said, man, that would be great. Let's do it. But I said, I just want to, I want you to hear something. No, one of my visions for college ministry on the college campus is to see the Christians united in this way that our reputation on campus is such that when somebody thinks about the believer's at FAU, they immediately think, man, those Christians, I may not agree with what they believe, but they're so kind, they're so patient, they're so loving towards everyone that they come in contact with. And he kind of paused and he looked at me and he goes, man, that's a lot harder than just doing one night of worship. <laughs> I said, Yeah, exactly. Nobody said this is easy, right? But the foundation for community is God and, it's, and, it, and it looks like a people united around these character traits. And so if the foundation for community is God, the second thing I think the, the Apostle Paul is calling us to see is that the reality of the life of community is gospel life. The life of community is gospel life. You see, community is not optional. It's not secondary. We've been made for relationships, but in fact, that as God calls the people in community— It's actually the very way in which the gospel expands because it's a very response of the gospel itself. When Paul thinks about this calling of community, he can't divorce it from the very work of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Notice verse six, verse seven. In verse seven, he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. When he says in verse 7 that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, he's not referring to salvation in that moment. He's actually referring to another aspect of what Christ has accomplished, is that in his work of redemption, he has actually given gifts to the people within his church. He's applied grace to our lives so that we're better equipped in order to serve within the very life of the community. It's why he goes into into verse 8 quoting from Psalm chapter 68. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Psalm 68 is a, is a whole chapter from the book of Psalm of, of outlining a king who is returning triumphant to the homeland and the people singing the praises of this victorious king. You see, there's something that, the, that Paul and his readers would have been aware of that is not familiar to you or me in our culture today, and it's this. When a king came back from war, And he came back victorious. There would be an incredible spectacle on display, uh, singing the very praises of what this king has accomplished in war. In fact, it would almost be like a parade that would go on for multiple days at a time where the very citizens of the city would gather together and line the streets to watch this procession returning home from uh, from these foreign countries. And the king would put on display all of the people who he had captured, the prisoners of war who are now returning uh, as now prisoners of this new king. All of the weapons of war that had been dismantled would be on display to show the, to show their, the home country that there's no more worry, there's no more fear of the evil that you've been afraid of. All of the, the gold and the silver and all of the precious jewels and art from that foreign country would be on display to the king's, uh, to the, to the king's new homeland. And finally, the very king himself, would be at the very end of this procession and in his chariot would often be a slave whispering in his ear, remember, you're only a man. Remember, you're only a man. Lest the praises of the people make him believe that he was like a god. But his final act that he would do, after all of this celebration was over, he would distribute gifts to his people. He would distribute from the very spoils of war the very gifts to his people so that they would be further enriched. And so, too, when Paul thinks about the life of community, do you see then how he makes this shift? He says, Jesus on the cross, after his return, uh, his, his redemption, and his return and ascension into heaven, he has given gifts to the very people of God. It's why he goes into this kind of parenthetical, cryptic statement in verse 9, that when we say Jesus ascended, well, it means that he had to have descended, which means he had to come to the earth. And when he descended, he also ascended. That after Christ was crucified, dead, and buried, and he returned back to heaven, he gave gifts to the life of the community of the church. So that we might better be equipped to work the accomplishment of God's purposes in our lives. And so he goes on to say, what were these gifts? Well, look at verse 11. He gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. He first highlights like gifts of word ministry of those whose whose primary task is to teach and to preach, to preach God's word because it's ultimately in God's word where we find the very words of life, where we find the very words of Christ himself. It's why every Sunday at Spanish River, you're going to hear God's word preached I often tell students in RUF, it's why every Wednesday night when you come, we're, we're studying God's Word and we're preaching God's Word. Why? Because it's the only hope that we have of where we're going to find Christ and where we can find redemption. And as God's Word is preached, as God's Word is studied in small groups and in one-on-ones and in your life groups throughout the life of the church, God's people are restored and equipped for the work of ministry. That's why he says in verse 12 that it's not just those who are preaching that are doing ministry. Notice what he says in verse 12. It's to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. In other words, it's not just the the preachers, it's not just the teachers, it's not just the people up front, but it's the people within the congregation. It's the very community who are equipped for the work of ministry. And that word equip actually borrows itself from, from part of the Greek language that would be used for the setting of a broken arm. Or a broken limb that when somebody's arm or leg were broken and it was reset that it was equipped and it was now restored in order to do what it was supposed to do and function in the way it was supposed to function. Now I want to be careful right because it's at this moment that we'll often kind of feel like okay here comes the guilt trip of like how you need to be doing more. And I don't want you to hear that, right? Like, there's multiple opportunities, no doubt, for you to serve within the life of Spanish River Church. Or if you're visiting this morning at maybe your home church, there's tons of opportunities to serve. That's not the primary point. The primary point is that Christ, in his work of redemption, has equipped his people for the very work of ministry, for the equipping of the saints in every aspect of life, whether that's a formal position serving within the church Or whether that's in the very life that you live as you go throughout your days. And so you can see how some of these sermons now are starting to tie together. As we talked about the culture of the gospel and a place where the gospel is going forward. And we talked about the reality of the Great Commission. As you're going, we're making disciples. So Christ has equipped his people in order to do the work of ministry. If you're thinking to yourself, I don't really know what my gift is. I would encourage you to go find Tim Torres. I would encourage you to go talk to him and attend the kingdom platform training so that it would help you clarify your gifts and your callings and the needs within the church. But this doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be part of a department, but it does mean that you're responding in a way that God has equipped you. And so think about this kind of a category, right? Like if you have the gift of evangelism, maybe if God has given you and equipped you with the gift of evangelism, as you go throughout your day, as you're meeting people along the way, you have a heart for people and you get to know their stories and their names, whether you're you know dropping your kids off at the nursery, whether you're going to the PTA meeting, as you're talking to a parent on the sidelines at the sports games. With the gift of evangelism, you're able to, to, to get to know people and stories and relationships in order to bring the gospel to bear. Some of you have the gift of generosity, and God has equipped you with the ability to give. and as you go, as you live, You're able to live generously and able to equip the saints for the further work of ministry. Some of you have the gift of hospitality. And around your dinner table in your home come the lives of people who are broken, who are lonely, and who need a place to feel nurtured and restored and have a family. You see, in all of these different ways and all these different categories, God has equipped his people, and in that way, you see, the life of the community is gospel life because lives are being restored. The hope of Christ is going forward as you move out into the world in the way in which you have been equipped. But finally, we see community. It doesn't just exist in, in and of itself, right? But is a critical way that God brings maturity. The final thing I want you to see this morning is that community is actually God's tool for maturity. Or another way to say it is that the goal of community, the goal of community is maturity, Sometimes we can talk about, you know, community and just kind of have this like, oh, isn't that great, community? We get our Jesus feels and everybody loves community. No, no, no. God has a purpose, right, and a plan of why he's calling us one with another because it's to grow us into a place of maturity. Notice the focus of maturity as he, as he, un, as he, as he continues on here in verse 13. Uh, I'll just read these verses and, and notice the places where he's highlighting maturity. Verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the measure of God, uh, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we're no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see what he's saying? It's almost as if the community of the church is like a body that when every part is working in its proper fashion, you're growing up into maturity. I can't help but think about those moments, right, whenever you've, you've brought home like a, a newborn baby and you're, and you're looking at your child and you're counting you know, the, the, their fingers and their toes and you're kind of marveling at how small their, their little hands and their little feet are. And over the years, you start to watch them grow up because everything has been working properly and they're growing up to a place of maturity. They're growing up to be a man or a woman because everything is doing its part in the way in which it's supposed to. Have you ever had the experience of having a body part Function improperly? A bad knee? A bad ankle? How do you treat those parts of of your body when they're not working properly? You see, this is where I think we can return back to our words uh, that we saw back in verse 2. Paul says that we treat one another with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. What's the goal? When your knee is acting up, it's like whatever it takes to restore it to health so that everything is working properly, so that everything is restored into the way it's supposed to be. Because here's the reality. Church life, life in community, sometimes it can be hard. Some of the the deepest hurts and some of the deepest uh, pain that we carry is often from other people, even more so within the very life of the church, with those with whom we've worshipped or with whom we've studied God's word, with whom we've done life with. And I know within this room, there are some of you who carry some of those hurts and some of those scars and some of those pains. Nobody has said that community is easy. That's why Paul says bearing with one another in love, with patience and humility and gentleness, because it is God's tool for how he grows us to a place of maturity. It doesn't mean that we we tolerate what's not true. It doesn't mean we tolerate foolishness or sinfulness. He says speaking the truth in love. No longer children. We're no longer tossed all about by all kinds of doctrine and and false teachings, but we're speaking the truth in love so that we might grow up in the way in which we do that, how we treat one another, well, with gentleness, kindness, patience, and humility. So I turned 40 this year, and I think my back turned 74, right? Like, I've, for years, have had a bad back. Uh, and it's kind of one of those realities that kind of every day, whatever I do, I'm just I'm just kind of aware of the pain, right? Like, we all have our aches and pains, right? Like, get over it, Jeff. You, but, so several weeks ago, right, so several weeks ago, a group of us from RUF, a group of students, we went to go help a church uh, set up a pumpkin patch. Local church, they're going to do this outreach event and setting up a pumpkin patch to reach the community, kind of a fundraising opportunity. And they needed some help, some volunteers to help unload pumpkins because apparently, pumpkins don't get delivered by Amazon they get delivered on a semi and so we had to go and we got a group of guys we went to go help this this church and so we go up and we're all get into the back of this semi truck uh, and we're we're unloading pumpkins right me with my bad back kind of aware of it right and we're kind of just like grabbing pumpkins and handing them off grabbing pumpkins and handing them off 600 pumpkins we had to unload off this, this truck actually we unloaded 1000 because somebody lost count and we had to put 400 back on let me tell you <laughs> let me tell you what that conversation was like so here we are we're unloading the pumpkins right 600 pumpkins loading them, unloading them. I don't know if you've been in the back of a semi anytime lately it is hot there's no breeze it's stuffy it's frankly it's kind of miserable right and when we finally get done with all of this work we go to get off because everybody's it's like we just need fresh air let's go get some fresh some water and take a break I noticed something (laughs) here I am with a bunch of 19 20 year old guys what do they do semi trailer is probably about five six feet off the ground and they all just walk to the end of the trailer and just jump off the end of it like they're jumping off a boat into the ocean And here I am with my bad back watching this, and all I can think of is that looks like a herniated disc in six weeks of therapy. (laughs) There's no way I can jump off that. What do I do? I get down on my back and scale down the back of this trailer like I'm coming down a cliff. Why? Because I know. How do I treat my back? Humility? (laughs) It's kind of (laughs) humble. Gentleness? Yep. Patient? Yep. I'll get there, guys. Hang on a minute. But what are we doing? What do we do with those within the body of Christ? How do we treat those within our midst who need that extra sense of tenderness to treat one another with gentleness, care, kindness, patience, humility, bearing with one another in love? Because you see, that I think becomes the reality of how God uses community to bring about maturity. Because here's the question. How did Jesus treat you when you were in your sin? How did Jesus treat you when you were living in a way that was offensive to the realities of the gospel? How does Jesus treat us whenever we're walking away from him? Notice what God's word says. Romans 2, 4, God's kindness and patience is meant to bring you to repentance. God's kindness and patience is meant to bring you to repentance. 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not slow, to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you. God is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus said in Matthew eleven, "Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, from gentle and lowly in heart." You see, when we treat those around us with this Christ-like love, we're we're expressing the realities of Christ Himself to the, those who are in most need, and so that is the way in which Christ brings us to maturity demonstrating Christ, but it's also the way in which those who need it respond to the hope of the gospel. So you and I, we've been made for relationships. We need community because it's the very way in which the gospel goes forward. It's the very tool that God uses to bring us to maturity. Let me pray for us. Our Lord and our God, we do confess that we are a people in need of community, And Father, above all, we address, we express that reality that if it weren't for your kindness, we would still be in our sin. And because of your patience and your goodness and your grace, you've called us out of darkness and into light. And so too we pray that you will make us a people, a community, where the gospel goes forward, where we're marked by that sense of Christ-like love for our neighbors. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.